comes Hurst, he's got some fiddler on the pitch, they think it's all over. It is now, it's four. Welcome back everybody to the Wrong Foot Podcast. This is Rich, uh, one of the co-hosts on the podcast, here with my fabulous co-host Joe. Joe, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great, just really excited to talk about the best tournament in the world, the EFL Cup. <laughs> There's lots going on this week in the world of football. Um, yeah, we started off this podcast talking about the World Cup. That's obviously come to a close, but it's not the end for us, and, and we'll get into kind of what's coming next. Uh, but first, we have a World Cup final to talk about. The, the tournament we? is in the books. Uh, we should probably have a look at what happened. Um, I think we should give quickly an honorable mention to the, the third place match before we get started. Um, don't have a ton to say about it. It was a fun game. Croatia ended up finishing third, so second place finish, third place finish in the last two World Cups for them. Joe, do you have much to say about the, the third place playoff? No, but I, I do think the nice thing about it is um, <clears throat> each team was really going for it um, in the sense that they started their normal lineups, basically. I mean, Modric played, yeah. um, you know, Basically, everybody on the Croatian team that we, even though they're older, that, you know, maybe sometimes in a third place game you see more rotation, but they basically played everyone that they would have played in a final, uh, which I thought added um, to the game. And, you know, obviously with the Moroccan fans there being such a driving force in the latter half of this World Cup, um, you know, they had one more time to shine. And it was a fun game. I mean, I think Croatia deserved it, but, you know, Morocco created plenty of opportunities. I think you saw. Um, you know, just the fatigue uh, for the Moroccans a lot. But, I mean, you know, they created plenty of chances and they, they could have uh, tied it up in the in the second half. It just wasn't meant to be. Yeah, and I think uh, the, the crowd got their value. There was obviously a strong Moroccan contingent in the crowd again. And, you know, they can go home with their, their heads held high. They played well. Uh, unlucky not to come away with a, more of a result. But uh, fourth place in a World Cup is... Know, better than 20 other teams so they, they can definitely be proud uh one one thing i do want to note was the uh brilliant set piece goal uh from from the croatians uh would you uh would you like to have seen something like that from from the u.s i know you've uh, been kind of banging on their set pieces and i think that was a kind of an example of a, a great set piece goal yeah i mean look it's, that's just skill you know <laughs> not every team has that kind of skill and skill and quality so uh yeah, I'm not yeah. going to bemoan too much, and uh, I'm sure the Croatians uh, would have rather saved that goal for the semifinal. But, you know, <laughs> no, it's true, not much but... could have been done there. No, and it was a good game. But now we must yep. talk about the uh, the showpiece event, which oh, really wasn't a showpiece. <laughs> all right, all right, all right, all right. It wasn't. It wasn't much of a showpiece for probably uh, 70, 75 minutes. Um, it, you know, I've I've got a note here. I made some notes throughout the game and. My note here around just after Griezmann got subbed off at 70 minutes, I said, shame it hasn't been a fun game uh, and it's not even been competitive. Credit to Argentina who have dominated from the get-go and not let up. And I was still trying to figure out whether it was Argentina stopping the French playing or if the French team was just being poor. Um, famous last words because about two seconds after that, they get a penalty. But we'll we'll kind of dig into the first 70 minutes to begin with. Um, Argentina You're talking did... about Wolves, Wolves Gillingham today, right? <laughs> Wolves Gillingham today? No? Yeah, yeah. The, uh, the, the first 70 minutes, so we saw you know, Argentina do what Argentina do best, win a penalty. Uh, in the, the, the 22nd minute, Messi calmly steps up, tucks it away. Uh, no, no bother there. Di Maria won the penalty. There's, there's talks of whether it was a foul, was it not a foul. Your thoughts on the penalty? Uh, yeah, so I think, as you mentioned, 
tale of two games, right? We have the first 70 minutes, which we'll talk about here, and then we'll go into the fireworks later on. <laughs> uh, in terms of that specific penalty, I think the only question is really, did he make contact? Uh, I, I've heard a couple of people say that they didn't see the contact. I do see contact there, and if there's any contact there because um, Dembele is trailing, uh, you have to call it. You know, mm-hmm. so you. So in my opinion, unless there was no contact, then you have to call it. And I do believe there was contact. So I think, you know, whether you want to call it a soft penalty, yeah, of course it was a soft penalty. But you know, <laughs> you have to be smart when you're in the box, and it's you know, Di Maria is you know, it's not like uh, <clears throat> this is a new phenomenon with Angel Di Maria, right? You know, <laughs> this is one of the biggest core strengths that he has is his opportunity to create and get in the box and draw fouls, right? So there's really, I mean, you have to call it if there's contact. There was contact, in my opinion. So, you know, I think it was the correct call. And, you know, I think, you know, it wasn't, I mean, it's really, I think it says more about Dembele than anyone because it's not like uh, Angel de Maria's move <laughs> to get into the box was anything uh, transcendent. It was just right. one cut and he's in the box and he's by him. Yeah. And so then Dembele, who I thought, as we'll talk about, <laughs> was taken shortly here off. <laughs> the field, the pitch uh, a little bit thereafter. Uh, it was just a terrible penalty, and obviously Argentina uh, rewarded the penalty. And, and you know, Messi did what he's sometimes struggled with in the past, specifically in the Copa America too. But he, you know, just a great penalty. All his penalties today were brilliant. Um, and I think you know, look, I, I, we hate to see big games decided by a penalty. Um, and it was looking like, oh, no, <laughs> early on. But I, I think it was a correct call. Yeah, and this game was definitely decided by a lot more than just this one penalty. So uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. And then, you know, uh, a beautiful kind of team sweeping move forward on the break. Di Maria again, the focal point of this one, tucking away the finish to make it 2-0. Um, and at this point, France, just they just looked kind of all out of sorts. Uh, they were struggling. The, most of their possession was kind of passing it around the back four, uh, and then they would quickly lose the ball, or you know they'd try a long ball and it, it was un- unsuccessful. And there was just—I don't even remember. Well, they didn't have a shot, right? Like they didn't have a shot until late in the second half. Um, yep. I believe the penalty they scored was the first shot on target. Uh, so yeah, there's. The, <laughs> I was a bit worried that we would have a ten minute podcast because you know we've basically summed up what the game was going to look like. Uh, it looked kind of like Argentina were just not going to let up, and then suddenly, you know, shadows of that that Netherlands game when they just let up two quick goals uh, out of nowhere. Uh, anything else to kind of say? There were a couple of substitutions, like you mentioned, Dembele going off early uh, and then Griezmann going off. Uh, I'd been obviously talking very highly of Griezmann, but he just lost in this game. Uh, didn't really make an impact at all. Uh, and I think that was the, the, the sub with Griezmann uh, late in the second half is what changed it because, you know, Kamavinga came on and kind of he just looked like a superstar in the center of midfield and uh, really kind of locked that down and what Griezmann had been doing all tor- tournament uh, then came into effect. It just wasn't Griezmann doing it. So anything to say on the, the subs or the rest of kind of that first 70, 75 minutes? Yeah, so I think um, I think you touched on it briefly. That second Argentinian goal was just it was just brilliant. It mm-hmm. was, you know, why we love this game, right? Uh, Mac Allister, who, you know, if you're a Brighton fan, uh, you're, you're probably thinking, ah, oh, this is maybe a little bit too good of a World Cup for Mac Allister. I don't know how long we're going to be able to keep him because he was just brilliant all tournament. 
uh, and especially in this game. And I think the interesting thing for me, though, I mean, there was about 10 minutes between the first Argentinian goal and the second Argentinian goal. And what was shocking to me is there was no pushback from the French. You know, when mm-hmm. you, how many times do we see in these games, especially amongst two very talented teams that can attack, defend, do it all, when a team is, goes down to goal, it can sometimes completely flip a game. Right. And it just didn't happen with the French. I mean, even those next 10 minutes, there was nothing. And then obviously we talked about the uh, the Di Maria finished up brilliantly. The you know the play you know the the interchange that Argentina had in the build up play. And the funny thing about that was that was kind of like the first time in the first half France looked like they even had an opportunity to score. Mm-hmm. And 20 seconds later, the ball sent everyone back <laughs> to go down too. So yeah. I think that's what we kind of have to say, right? The first 40 minutes was all Argentina. Now, Deschamps makes two changes. So I think we should talk about these two changes, right? He yeah. takes out Giroud, who... First of all, when you take out a player... You know, in case you're new to soccer. When you take a player out before halftime, that is, you know, universally seen as, like, the biggest form of... Um, how would you describe it, Rich? Like it's basically like, like they insult, are, you know? Yeah, like they. It, well, basically, it happens for two reasons. One reason is you're injured, and obviously that can't be prevented. The other reason is like you are just. It's not your day. Like you are so bad that we're not even going to wait for halftime, have a team talk, try and get right. you removed. It's like you are just do like you are not going to have an impact on this game because you've also got to think uh, there was still so much game left. Uh, and as we saw, it ends up going to penalties. It's a close game. That's when you're going to want someone like Drew, right? Like you're going to want him there to take a penalty or you're going to want him there to finish a chance that they have in the game. And to take him off just shows like, even if they, they get back into this game, which they did, they didn't need him in in the way he was performing that day. So it's, yeah, it's definitely um, it, very it, rarely I, done. <laughs> I think I heard that this is the first time ever a player, or in this case, multiple players, were subbed out in the first half of a World Cup final that weren't injured. Right. So that and this is a team that won the World Cup. Whether I mean, obviously, Nembele um, wasn't on that team, but th- these are two guys that um, started almost every game, right? Yeah. But I think the other thing it tells you is how because and there were rumors in the French press before the game that Giroud wasn't going to start and uh, Thuram was going to start and they were going to play through Mbappe in a more central role. Right. Um, so, I mean, it is interesting when you go, it's like, you know, Deschamps, look, I mean, the guy's been to a Euro final, he's won a World Cup, and then he made this final. So he's obviously knows what he's doing, right? But he has so much talent around him. And I think you, you got to think with how quickly he made these subs and didn't wait until halftime that he kind of had this in his mind of possible subs. I mean, we've seen Colomoni play a lot anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think really the, the bigger, you know, I think the reason why they took Giroud out um, was because they weren't getting any possession to get him service, right? right. And Giroud's older, so he's not going to be pressing and you know tracking back in the midfield and creating you know more um, combat in the midfield. And I think what we saw in this first half is just it was basically Argentina's four midfielders against the French three, and we can get into Mbappe in a little bit. But you know without Giroud and without Mbappe really tracking back the French, I mean the, the Argentine Argentines were just able to control possession so effectively, and right. it really made um, Giroud useless, and it made Dembele play only defense, and you saw how poor his, <laughs> we, you know, we talked about the first penalty, 
Dembele's not a, a defensive player. He's an attacking no. winger, right? So he was completely out of his element. Uh, you know, at Barcelona, he's, you know, <laughs> he's, he's scoring goals, creating shots. This is not what he's doing against Argentina in the World Cup final. So I think if, you know, I think the real question was why he started Dembele um, in that role. So he made the subs, but the crazy thing about these subs is when they happened, they still didn't really change the game much. Right. Um, you know, the French still didn't have any answers. So I think we go into halftime. And what were your thoughts you know, going into halftime when it's 2-0 Argentina, did you think it was over? What were your thoughts? I think I think I thought it was over just because France had offered nothing, right? Like, you, mm-hmm. you couldn't really put your finger on, oh, this was a five-minute period where they were, like, knocking on the door, unlucky not to score or something like that. It was like, you barely could think of a time that they even, like, had possession in the Argentinian half, and it just wasn't happening. And, you know, going into halftime, it's only 2-0, it, like a lot can obviously happen in the second half, which which it did, but it just seemed like there was nothing going, or like nothing going for them. Nothing was working well, and you couldn't see um, a way back in because, like I say, I, I was really trying to figure out: is this because Argentina are not letting France play, and they're like they're just stifling them so much that they're making them look bad? Which te- good teams can do that, right? Like they can make very good teams look bad because they they are just disgruntling them and, and messing up their game and, and that's I was really trying to figure it out or was it you know France just tired after a long tournament and you know they just couldn't get going and they didn't have it in their legs or, or whatever it may be and it, it just yeah it, I honestly couldn't see a way back in were you were you thinking it was kind of dead and buried or you thought there was a chance so I never thought it was dead and buried just because I I, I believe too much in this French team in terms of their talent and the Argentines we saw, I mean, I knew uh, Valta Vecchorce wasn't going to be walking through that door for <laughs> uh, the French, but we saw Argentina get up to, and, and and really what I felt, and I think this is the beauty of soccer, I think, in many ways, and why we love football, is the game's not <coughs> really over. Uh, even though Argentina was up to, as we saw, uh, brilliantly illuminated in this game, uh, all it takes is one goal, and then you're it just changes everything, right? You're you're up two one all of a sudden, and now you're really in the thick of it, and you never know how you're going to react. You you defend you, you depend to come, you know, more conservative. So, you know, I think in the second half, I wasn't uh, overly optimistic by that. Um, my my thinking that France still had a shot. I mean, I think we. I mean, there's really not much to say in the first twenty minutes of the of the first uh, the second half, which is surprising because again, mm-hmm. where is this? These are the defending champs. Where is the where is the initiation? What, what, why they're not creating chances? Like, right. what is happening, right? And I think the interesting thing, and I think it's part of the start of the turning point here, uh, in the 64th minute, um, the decision to take off Angel Demiré. I understand it in the sense that he hadn't started any of the games. He was coming in with an injury. How how long can you possibly play with him? But you add the fact that you take off who I thought was your best player. For, you know that first half, and then you, and then you bring on another defender in Akuna, which what is that doing? That's just inviting pressure, right? You're right. you're giving up some of that control in the midfield that you've had this entire game, and it's helped you really just keep the French, you know, without any possession. Right. And you take that off, and I just obviously it's easy to say when you know <laughs> they give up two goals later on, but I just I thought that was like a especially in the 64th minute like I just I didn't like that decision yeah and to your point like 
the French had never dominated any part of the game at this point, right? So I get it if you know you're on the back foot. The, the French are kind of pinning you back into your own area or whatever. You're going to look to kind of shore up the defense a little bit because it's looking like it's inevitable that you might concede. But that still hadn't happened. And Di Maria was always giving you an out as well, right? Like, yes, he's he's not kind of in his prime in terms of his age and his speed, but he, he still has speed. He still can, like we saw with the second goal that he scored, right? We saw with winning the penalty, like he always had something to give and taking him off just shifted that to then, it gave France the ability to get some kind of control of the ball and control of the game, which they hadn't even looked like getting to that point, right? And then, like I say, then, it kind of was sparked by the penalty out of nowhere, which was really France's first, like I say, it was their first shot on target. Um, and that obviously sparked it. But yeah, I think it was it's so inviting to France to say, we're happy with 2-0. We're just going to sit back now and, you know, you have to score twice in the next 20 minutes or so for this game to change. And France kind of took that as an open invite and they did that in what was it 90 seconds between between the two goals and yeah I, I think it was you can understand it and it's easy to look back on and say it changed the game but you're kind of lucky that Argentina end up coming out winning because I think that's going to be a lot more scrutinized if you know France get a third before the end of the game or, or something like that right like I think it, it, it revisionist history and you know results orientated thinking is well it didn't matter anyway they still won but they never even looked like conceding to that point let alone having the game tied or, or even lose the game and they, they shifted it and there was you know we, we talked a lot about momentum and whether that's a thing there was definitely a shift in something in this game from that point right right, right. and i think the interesting about that sub is it's the only sub in 90 minutes that was made mm-hmm. you know so you know, and, obviously he liked the, you know you you know you liked the squad that he out there and he he wanted to get one more defender on there, but um, I wonder if you know Scaloni if he had that one back would would like to have changed it, but alas, it didn't matter. But so yeah. I think the last just thing before we get into the craziness of the last twenty minutes, I think the final uh, ignition in the seventieth minute, French, the French make two more changes. They bring mm-hmm. uh, Coman for Griezmann. And they bring Kamavinga on for uh, Theo Hernandez, who I thought was pretty poor. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, although I thought, you know, coming into this game, I thought, you know, the, the Argentinians would kind of exploit that ha- that side of the field. But, I mean, they had just as much sense uh, on Kunde on the other end. Right. Um, so it was kind of funny. But the, the one last thing I want to talk about in the first 70 before we get into the craziness. <laughs> um, I think part of the reason the French struggle so much is Mbappe's unwillingness to have any role in the defense, right? Mm-hmm. I think they were overpowered uh, in the midfield, which is a major reason why they were down to nothing. Mbappe had no service, but yet he's not willing to come back and try and play any kind of defense. If, even when he's playing defense, if you know, there's really no... It's just He's just kind of there, right? He's mm-hmm. not even trying to initiate. He's not trying to get the ball. He's just... He's just there because he thinks he should be behind the ball and he's in a spot, right? But he's only focused on attacking. And as great as Mbappe is, and we saw the bloody talent, <laughs> you know, in the next 30 minutes and, and extra time as well. His his unwillingness to track pack and play defense is really – I mean, even Messi at his age 
plays slightly more. I mean, he walks plenty, but at least <laughs> he's more involved, right. in my opinion, in the defensive side. Mbappe, at his age, just and especially when you had Giroud, I think the problem with having them both out there, you know, the reason why, and I think we need to remember this, the reason why Argentina had so much success was in part because a lot of the time they were playing against 10 men because Mbappe just was not doing anything. And nine, yeah. if you include Giroud, not really tracking back either. So I think... You know, as great as Mbappe is, and we're going to obviously, you know, talk about it. I just think that we need to bring up the fact that he's, and, in, and I've read in the French press that, you know, he kind of had an agreement with, you know, Deschamps. Everyone else plays defense but Mbappe, right? Right. And obviously you do want to save more of his effort for offense. But I do think, uh, you know, for attacking, obviously. But I think it is a culprit and part of the reason why they were playing so poorly in the first 70. Not the only reason, but I think it was a, it was a big part of the reason why they were struggling so much to get possession. Yeah, and I think to that point, like he's got so much speed that, you know, he can pick up the ball in his own penalty box and like outrun everyone to the other penalty box, right? Like and, you know, my token mention of Wales here on the podcast. Yeah, you know, Gareth Bale in his prime, like that's what he would do best, right? He would pick up the ball halfway into his own half on a, on the wing. And just like basically just punt it forward, and he knew that he could beat whoever he was up against to the ball, and then he just changes defense into attack so quickly. And you think that Mbappe would would try to utilize that a bit, and it just seemed to have no interest. Like you say, he was kind of, you know, people say it about Messi that you know these days he just walks around. It's like yeah, but the guy's thirty five. He's done so much. Like I think he's warranted being able to just walk around a bit now, right? Like and he showed that he can when he wants to turn it on. And I think Mbappe being so young, it's it is a little bit kind of concerning um, that if he already has that kind of I don't know whether it's arrogance or kind of self righteousness to to do that. And that's probably a, a strong word to use, but it definitely it definitely cost them because yeah, like you say. Uh, it was definitely like playing against 10 or 9 because Giroud was doing the exact same thing. And, you know, that's mainly because he is old and he is slow. Whereas Mbappe, like, he's got that pace. Like, just you can outrun people. Like, I know you don't want to be sprinting every three seconds to try to go from defense to attack. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's a weapon they could have looked to utilize that they didn't. But all right. uh, that's so, enough. <laughs> so, all right. So we're at the point here. We're at the breaking point. We're about 75 minutes in, 2 nothing Argentina. You know, not a good game. Just kind of a, seems like kind of a, just a perfunctory, uh, we're headed to the final finish line. Messi's going to win this World Cup. And then what happens, Rich? All hell breaks loose. Yeah, First, was... the penalty. <laughs> the penalty. Otamendi. I believe it was Kulumani who drew the penalty. Could be wrong. But uh, what are your thoughts on that penalty? It was a penalty. Like I think it, uh, it it came from nowhere. Like it literally, it, it was one of the first times that I think the French had touched the ball meaningfully, like not from like an offside or something in the Argentinian box throughout the whole game. Which again is just insane in a World Cup final. Like you say, there was no throwing the kitchen sink until this point. And yeah, I think it was a penalty. Mbappe with an unsavable penalty. We'll see two more penalties from him. And they were all unsavable. He did what wow. Harry Kane tried to do, I would say. Wow. Um, well, that is a good point you bring up, right? <laughs> in this game, we saw Messi take a penalty in regulation, and obviously an extra time, and, and you know penalties at the end of the game. And Mbappe took two penalties and then a third. But um, I think 
what the you know kind of a harbinger of things to come if you look closely. Even though obviously Mbappe scores, Emiliano Martinez reads it and gets a hand to it, yeah, and is very close to saving it. As but good it, of a penalty as Mbappe had. Oh well, and I think I think the the one in the shootout as well, he gets a hand to. And yes, we'll get to that. And again, it's just no keeper in the world is saving it unless you right. guess and you've already dove that right. way maybe you get more of a hand to it and it's just it's just perfectly placed and enough right. power yep. um and at the right height that there's nothing the keeper can do apart from but fingertips he makes it much harder right and you know you know americans specifically will say it's just a luck competition it's a no there is a lot of skill involved yeah. and i think nobody is more indicative of that than emiliano martinez you it's not just hitting your rudimentary run of the penalty he is a great reader of the kick he's a great off the line and you have to be perfect to score a penalty against him yeah and you and then and then we'll see how difficult that is but anyway so the french get a goal it's 2-1 now i think we're like okay we got a game no matter what happens at least it should be at least a lot non you know fun 15 minutes and yeah. lo and behold <laughs> i mean just after mbappe comes from running back the penalty and putting it you know on you know the halfway line what do we have but another Mbappe goal and a sublime finish to tie it up 2-2, like a minute 90 seconds after the previous goal. Yeah. What the hell are your thoughts after the second goal hits? It was it, like it was literally like a light switch had gone on, right? Like it was it went from like I say, and we've we've obviously been talking about like one of the most one-sided, boring finals, and then in 90 seconds, uh, a quality penalty, and then a quality volley into the bottom corner or the far corner. Um, just yeah it just flipped the game on the head and suddenly it was like oh they have, they have argentina on the ropes now from no way from nothing right like it was it, you then started thinking like are they just going to score like three or four like if they just suddenly look like a completely different team they look like they had life um obviously a beautiful goal and yeah at that point you're like well at least like we've got a final now <laughs> it, we've been waiting 75 80 minutes for this and and finally it delivered and yeah they just made for a wild last what was it 18 minutes because i think there was eight minutes of stoppage time and mm. both teams were trying to win it from there as well and then it actually became a two-way game back and forth right. um, but the amazing thing was especially in that last 15 minutes it looked like there was only one team that was gonna win true <clears throat> It looked like France was, it, you know, they had their paws on it. You know, they yeah. just needed to find that third goal. And um, I thought it, it was just tremendous theater. I mean, we're going to get into the extra time, which was literally just 30 <laughs> minutes of like a cocaine binge, just back and <laughs> forth, back and forth. Everything you could have ever wanted, right? The best players in the world going back and forth, trying to win a World Cup. It was just sublime. But I think in those last 15 minutes, it was kind of, it was more one-way traffic, right? I think Argentina might have had a shot or two, but... They just look knackered. And, and you can get into the mindset, right? We talk about yeah. football, right? It's such a mind game. Argentina had had they had won it, right? They were up 2 nothing, and not even three minutes later, it's 2-2. Two, two. Yeah. And their whole world is upside down. The fans, especially if you hear how quiet that stadium right. was when the second goal, it was stunning. It was absolutely stunning. And so the Argentinians, and I think you know, everyone knew the same thing. You just got to find a way to hang on to extra time, get a minute breather, and catch your breath. And luckily for them, they were able to get there. And it was just, it was tremendous. The, the French barrage, it was like, you know, Muhammad Ali, Robodope, you know. <laughs> they had 
played like garbage for 80 minutes and then all of a sudden they came full force in the final you know 10 minutes and then whatever eight minutes of extra time so i don't know if you have any other thoughts in the first 90 but i thought um you can see how much a goal can change a game and in this game it changed almost everything and argentina the team that was in control for the first 75 80 minutes all of a sudden it's just gasping and, and trying just to hang on to get to the final, you know, 30 minutes of extra time. Yeah, I think the your point about it kind of looking like only one team scoring, it's almost like like you mentioned earlier about after the first Argentina goal, like that. this is what we expect from, like in a final when a team goes one down, like the next 10 minutes are kind of like this barrage of the other team trying to get their way back into the game. And, you know, the team who've just scored maybe looking a bit more defensive just to shore things up. And it just didn't come. But then suddenly these two goals made like it was that spark. And I can't remember if this was, was it the end of... <coughs> stoppage time or was it the end of extra time when i can't remember who it was and martinez made that save and it just like it looked like that was going to kill it i can't remember was that the end of extra time well i think there was time? one good one around the 94th minute mm-hmm. um but there was an even better one when we get into uh that's extra time, right? extra time but right. yeah yeah. But, the, yeah but the save in the 94th minute um i'm trying to see if i can find who it was but it was an incredible it was still a great save and it was an incredible opportunity um to net for French to the yeah. French, no, um, for sure. Yeah, but oh, all right. But so well, let's head well, to so, the extra time. Yeah, what we were your thoughts in... heading into extra time? Um, it, like you say, I think it, it the Argentinians look deflated. Like I think there was a shot of Messi. Like they showed Messi and they showed Mbappe like just before the kickoff because they were stood next to each other and like the looks on the two faces was like. Mbappe looked hungry and was like, we're going to win this. And Messi just looked so defeated. Like, it looked like he was almost ready to cry already because, you know, his fairy tale ending was 10 minutes away and just got snatched away from him. And I think at that point, I was like, I don't see how Argentina have, like, the, like, the spirit to get back in this. But then, like you say, neither team wanted this to go to penalties, I don't think. It's one of the more exciting extra times you'll ever see. Um, sometimes there seems to be a bit of a mutual agreement of like, well, let's just go to penalties and, and settle this because teams will not want to make that mistake. But this was not the case here. Um, and it was back and forth. And then obviously Argentina take the lead again. Um, I thought it was offside. It looked offside in like real time. Um, it obviously wasn't. They they checked it. It was it was pretty close, but it wasn't offside. And you know, Messi is the man that steps up and and kind of finishes it off. And at that point, you're like, oh, this is the fairy tale ending, right? Like Messi is going to be the hero. Um, okay. France have kind of thrown everything. And but yeah, what are your thoughts up to that point as well? So the funny thing at the end of extra time, we you know <clears throat> I didn't mention it, but Messi had that with maybe two minutes to go, had that just missile of a shot, mm. but just aimed it right at Larice and Larice right. was able to bomb it over. Yeah. Well, <laughs> of all the goals Lionel Messi scored throughout his career, right, the game, the goal to go up 3-2 in the World Cup is as dirty of a goal as you can see. <laughs> just cleaning up the ball that was left there and, and pocketing it. Yeah. And guess what? I think a lot of people thought the game was over again. Right, you know, we saw it in the quarterfinal when Neymar scored against Croatia. It's over. We saw it here. Oh, Messi scores the third goal. It's the fairy tale, the storybook. It's over. Right. Yeah. This, and I want to say before we get into the, you know, the comeback, that just 
the barrage of attacks in this in this last 30 it was just amazing even you know when the french got down 3-2 it was like ah let's come back and fire you know and it was just it was like if, if every football game was like this this would be the biggest uh, sport in america uh in a couple hours it was just so tremendous the it was just so exhilarating everything is on the line and we're getting the best players in the world just <laughs> laying laying waste to everything you know um and i think what you know I think one of the amazing things we saw here is uh, Rafael Varane, like just literally <laughs> keeling over because yeah. he's just so fatigued physically and mentally. Gave everything. Has nothing left to give, right? Yeah. Um, and it, it was just, it was just. I think a, a Pumacano made a made a tremendous last ditch uh, effort uh, on um, Latura Martinez in extra time as well. Yeah. Um, it was just incredible. Now, obviously, France are down three two. They put, you know, they take Veron after they take Veron off because he's just out of it. Mm-hmm. The the French get a corner kick, and off of that corner kick, a handball. Thoughts on the handball? Uh, it's, it's, his arms away from his body. I, I, it's it's going to be debated till the end of time around handballs in football and like you know besides them putting their arms inside their jerseys or their shirts they there's like there's going to be like your arms move when you move right but at the end of the day his arms was his arm was extended out from his body hits his arm you know was the shot going on target most likely so i i I don't blame the ref for giving it i think it's always going to be given but whether you think it should be uh, like i say i think that's something that's always going to be debated because um it's just that difficult thing in football like and you know like i say your, your your arms move right you can't move without moving your arms and you're balancing right. but especially um, jumping right so he's you know he hasn't purposely like it's not a like a deliberate handball or anything but uh you know those are given a hundred times out of a hundred so i didn't have any issues with that and and as we mentioned mbappe stands up just drills this one i think he hit all three pretty much the same spot right like and you left know. side yep and this is the one time i'm on um he guessed wrong. Right. So uh, Mbappe had even fold the great Emiliano Martinez uh, <laughs> on this attempt. But, yeah, it was just a thunderous goal. So it's 3-3, right? Yeah. Tied up. All right, we're surely going extra time now. Yeah. But how many – I mean, how many more chances were still left? And, and I think the best of all was uh, Kulamani. Yeah. <laughs> alone. What was it? The 122nd minute. Uh, and – the man again, that man again, Emiliano Martinez makes, I mean, I don't even want to say arguably, I think you have to say the biggest save in history. I mean, uh, I, you know, I, I, I mean, personally would argue that go yes, ahead. he do. Yes. He do against Andre Shevchenko in the AC Milan Liverpool Istanbul final um, from like literally point blank range was, I, I guess you could argue it's not as big because it's just the Champions League final versus the world cup final. Um, I, I think that's got definitely got to be an honorable mention though between the two. But yeah, I don't think there's that 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 saves them the cup right at the end of the day. So yeah, I, I don't have arguments saying that. I think there's right. it's it's a list of a few, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But and I'm sure Olin will have a million uh, <laughs> of a yeah. saves, and I'm sure Olin will have a million different uh, potential saves. But I'm just talking about not even how good of a save it was. It was just everything was on the line. This is one mm. of the greatest World Cup finals, maybe. I mean, in recent memory, maybe ever, uh, Olin brings up 1954, West Germany, the underdogs beating Hungary. But, I mean, 
this, you know, for all intents and purposes, in terms of modern history, this is the World Cup you remember by. Yeah. You have the extra caveat of it being Messi's last ever World Cup. Many consider him the best player of the modern era. And it was all on the line, right? And if the French win, it's they become the only the second team ever to win back-to-back. Think about what it does to Mbappe, what it does to Lloris, what it does to Deschamps. You know, there were huge, huge... Um, it was just a huge. It was just a fulcrum game for these two countries, and 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 there was no other way to. There was nothing but a win that was going to satisfy either right. team, right? France had just won the World Cup. They were looking to go back to back. Second place does nothing for them. Argentina with Messi, they're never going to have another chance to win the World Cup um, in this era. So it's like, do or die. Second place is not an option, and to you know for Martinez to make that save at the death, and we're headed to penalties in a 3-3 classic and amazingly these penalties will decide so much <laughs> when you look at history right yeah. so many different things will be rewritten because of how these penalties go so what was your mindset heading into the penalties yeah i think uh one thing i just want to go back on that we overlooked was the mbappe's second penalty obviously was his hat trick as well so the first player to score a hat trick in a final since uh Golden jeff first did it in uh in 66 yes it, it also won him the golden boot as well like that was that changed hands what three times during the game between him and Messi um so yeah like that he he literally put the whole team on his back and, and got them back into it and yeah going into the penalties uh, I just thought like France had been down and out like twice effectively right like it, it just seemed like they were just not going to lose because to this point they hadn't and and out of nowhere like you say when when Messi scores the goal in extra time you kind of think well that's that's probably it that's the fairy tale ending and somehow they get back into it and I think that Martinez save um right before the end that obviously gives him a bit of a spring in his step going into the penalties I think like you say him being able to put pressure on Mbappe's first penalty shows kind of how big and long he can make himself um, trying to stop penalties, meaning you've got to hit the side netting or the top corner, otherwise he's getting a hand to it, which obviously we see. Um, I just I just thought that, yeah, I thought France were going to win. I honestly did. I didn't see... I just felt like Argentina had had their chances and they kept let, letting it slip. And um, whether you call it momentum or, or whatever else, it just seemed like it was heading that way and were we now going to see the kind of passing of the torch final uh, from Messi to Mbappe as opposed to the Messi fairytale ending and I felt like that's the way it was leaning you know he'd scored that trick um, he'd obviously he looked he looked good for who we've obviously kind of bagged on him a little bit for the first 70 minutes but he looked great and you know he's probably the best player on the planet right now in terms of quality right now um and, and he showed that but yeah i honestly thought france were going to win what are your thoughts going into the the shootout so i i was definitely thinking argentina was going to pull it out obviously we saw them do it against the netherlands but what i was actually drawing back to was the 2021 copa america semi-final against colombia um in their penalty shootout and and how the the tactics that emiliano martinez <laughs> t- you know took and you know, I you know we've seen him in this World Cup. He's just a great against penalty kicks, right? Right. And then as a Tottenham supporter, I know the on the other end, Hugo Lloris is not great. Right. Uh, it's probably the biggest weakness of his of his um, in his repertoire is just his ability to save penalties, right? The Harry Kane penalty wasn't even on 
<laughs> even on target. Right. So in in um so I, I was actually really thinking liking Argentina's chances. I was honestly surprised in regulation they weren't more conservative to try to get the penalties mm-hmm. at certain points because I felt like it really favored them just with the two goalies and the fact that they'd already won in the quarterfinals on penalties. So I definitely liked Argentina's chances. Now, what I've heard in the coming, the last few days, and, I, and I'd be interested to hear what you said, would you have made any consideration to subbing Hugo Lloris? Um, I I don't like it, personally. Um, like I, we saw Chelsea do it in the League Cup final against Liverpool when they brought Kepper on. Um, mm-hmm. And then Kepa, well, admittedly, that went 11 penalties each. Um, and Kepa was the one that missed. So that's a slightly different situation. But I, I just think... I don't think Lloris is that bad. He like He's your captain. He's got you there. Um, I don't see the need. Like, personally, I, 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 I would never do it. As in, I, I don't agree with it. I think you got to go with the guy who's been there. Uh, there's talks, you know when they bring players on to take the penalties coming on cold and sometimes that's not the best that's what that was talked about with with England losing the Euros final that they brought a couple of players on and their first touch is taking a penalty to try and win the cup and and how that can affect and I, I think as a keeper it's it's even more so because you're you're, you're in in the in goal for every single kick right so coming in cold I don't know how much that gives you so I I don't I don't ever blame a coach for just sticking with the guy that you've had there for the 120 minutes and throughout the whole tournament. And like I say, he's your captain. Um, yeah, I don't think I would do it. Would, would, is that a change you would look to make? I mean, I, I think I would have, but it's not like the French backups are... Uh, I mean, Steve Mondanda is one, 37-year-old goalkeeper. Um, and then the other one is... Um, the West Ham backup, uh, Ariola, I think. Yeah. Um, so it's not like you're dealing with the cream, the cream of the crop. Right. But I just know how bad Larissa is. So I mean, I don't necessarily blame Deschamps for keeping him in. I just, I didn't like their chances. Right. I thought it was going to take mm-hmm. almost a minor miracle for it to work. Um, and so the penalty shootout commences. Argentina don't miss, right? Yeah. They're flawless. And I think every shootout this tournament, the first team to miss has lost the shootout, right? And uh, We Martinez... haven't had a compelling shootout yet. No, and it it was interesting. So France won the toss and they chose to take the first kick, which is not always the way. Teams like to go second, so they kind of know what they're getting at. And I, I guess every team's probably different, but I thought that was um, a bold move, especially as then you're putting Mbappe up to take his third penalty of the day. Um you know, like I say, not to to keep bringing it back to Harry Kane. We saw what happens when you're taking multiple penalties in a game. Obviously, Messi was going to take him like his second of the game as well. Um, and I think that was bold. Mbappe steps up, and again, it's it's unsavable. Martinez gets his fingers tips to it, but there's nothing you can do there. Um, Messi then steps up. And, uh, to your point about Lloris, I think if he stands still for an extra three split seconds for at least two of the penalties, he saves them, and he just like. Uh, and I get it, you have to commit yourself, but I think players have a tendency these days to try and fool the keeper that unless you're Mbappe who is drilling it in an unsavable spot anyway, um, 
why not wait and see what they do? Because half the time they then just roll it in the opposite way because you've committed. And it's easy for me to sit here in my armchair saying saying these things, but I think there were definitely opportunities Lloris could have probably paused for one split second, two split seconds longer, and you know he can then make the save because. I don't think any of the Argentinian penalties were great. They were not, none of them were like Mbappe's that were unsavable. Um, they were just, oh, we're going to send Loris the wrong way with our eyes and a little stutter. And then we have more than half a goal just to roll the ball into and we don't have to worry about missing the target, which was obviously the, the French downfall as well. Um, and yeah, unfortunately, we, we never kind of ever really got to any penalty shootout that was back and forth and going into sudden death. It was just it was almost over before it started, especially when you miss back-to-back and the other team is not missing. It's just a mountain to climb. Yep, Coman missed, uh, obviously, saved by Martinez, and then uh, Chumani just unfortunately hooks it, mm-hmm. <laughs> misses the net entirely, and obviously it's it's game over. Paredes makes his. Mushiel makes the game-winning kick, um, and it's all over, right? Yeah. The... Uh, Argentinians are World Cup champions. Messi gets his crown jewel. <laughs> the crowds are going wild. Buenos Aires is is alive, more yeah. alive than any capital city in any country in the world. And that is the end of the World Cup. I mean, obviously, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, the there was of course the very awkward. Uh, pro trophy presentation <laughs> with uh, Gio Gino Infantante doing whatever he had to do. Uh, you have the ruler of uh, Qatar, whose national team was eliminated from this cup about three weeks ago. Were they you even have, even uh, it? <laughs> you have uh, so many other random people on the stage, all trying to soak in some of the limelight of Messi. And yeah. I, it was very fun because it was like. You watch this great game. It's been a large, great tournament, and then you see all those those people on stage. You know, the Qatari <laughs> gang, Infantino, and you just like, oh yeah, these these people are crap. You know, yeah. So well, it's really and, just a... and then they they drape Messi in whatever the the traditional garment was, which is it's fair enough. But like, he's just won this for his country. Like he he like every famous picture you see is like you know Maradona on the shoulders of someone, and obviously they get to this photo for Messi, but like why are we draping him in that like i get it it's it's a tradition there but i i saw things about like you know when it's in germany were they gonna put lederhausens on people like what are we doing here like this is like this is not what the world cup's about like he's won it for argentina he hasn't won it for qatar right like um each their own with that and i like i have opinions about this world cup as a whole and we can talk a bit about like rounding it up but yeah um martinez did his best to bring down the tone though as he uh dry humps the uh the golden glove that he won uh which is fun and that picture's obviously gone viral um yeah it was uh i always find those kind of trophy presentations a bit awkward um i guess it's one up i'm not the biggest fan of the super bowl getting handed to the owner first and that's obviously a conversation for another day i don't know your thoughts on that but you know at least at least the captain of the team gets to hoist it up and yeah, like you say, Messi gets his crowning moment. Uh, the news out of of Buenos Aires today is that they were supposed to have the the bus victory tour, uh, which they had to change to a helicopter tour because too many people showed up and they couldn't get a bus through. So they took to the skies, which is pretty unprecedented because um, millions and millions of people showed up to to see this procession with the World Cup. So seeing how much it means to the Argentinians, like that's what football's about: the celebrations, yeah. the joy that comes with it. Um, Messi I, I don't obviously expect gets to it. see. Uh... 
Christian, uh, Christian Romero in the starting lineup on Boxing Day for Tottenham. <laughs> yeah, I think there's going to be a few people with uh, sore heads over the Christmas period um, if they've. Brian uh... might want to uh, might want to get used to not playing with Mac Allister for at least one game. <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, well, and there was pictures of them drinking after the game. I'm assuming it was the uh, the alcohol free Budweiser that they had in the stadium. Uh, I'm not yeah. sure if they uh, sneaked in the special stuff uh, <laughs> in the stadium, I but I think that's the first time Budweiser has ever been described as special stuff but well considering it had been banned for the last wow. the preceding four weeks um yeah and well now they get to they get to deliver their promise of shipping all the alcohol that got banned from being sold to the winning country so there'll be a lot of Budweiser heading to, to argentina right now and uh yeah i think it kind of it, it wrapped up a tournament it was the final we wanted it didn't look like we were going to get a good final for a large portion of the game but you know no one's going to remember that first 70 minutes now they're just going to remember the wildness all right so to transition uh do you have any other thoughts on this game or are you exhausted i'm good do we want to do a winner or lose? i'm guessing the winner is messy and the loser is anyone to do well i would give a shout out to emiliano martinez i mentioned his name more than any other i think look obviously at the end of the day this is messy this is messi's world cup that's what it'll be remembered by but Emiliano Martinez should be remembered and almost of a fond delight. Uh, obviously, <laughs> Mac Allister was brilliant. Um, I thought Christian Romero was very good in this game. Um, you know, I, I thought there was a, you know, I thought there was a, was many good performances from the Argentinian side. Um, and I think on the whole, they outplayed Argentina. I mean, France for the majority of the game. So I think they were the rightful winners. So, mm-hmm. um, look, it's 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 a game of fine mar- margins, right? France has made four World Cup finals in the last seven. They've won two. The other two, they lost in PKs. So, you know, if those two games go the other way, we could be talking about the greatest dynasty in in soccer history, right, in football history. And we're not because it's it's fine margins, right? So I think it was, all in all, uh, a brilliant game. Like I said, Olin believes the 1954 World Cup is right up there with this one. (laughs) Wasn't alive for that, so I don't know. I've watched video about it, so I, I know a little bit about it, but I'm not uh, as immersed as others. But yeah, I think when you talk about finals of of any international tournament of any Champions League, this is right up there with it, if not the best, yeah. especially with the stakes and the fact that the best performers, the performers that everybody knows, Mbappe and Messi had multiple goals. It was like a duel of the best. This is like you know. Joe Montana and John Enwa Elway duking out for a Super Bowl. Tom Brady versus, you know, Pat Mahomes or whatever you want to say. This is what mm-hmm. it was, and it was an, an incredible game, and um, that's that's all you could ask for, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, so that kind of puts a bow on on the tournament itself. Uh, what are your kind of overall thoughts of the the tournament? You know, some people are saying it's it's the best ever, this, that, and the other. What, what kind of your is your summary when you look back over the last four weeks? Yeah, so I think it's hard just based on the location and some of the issues for me to say it was the best ever. Mm-hmm. I have a an issue kind of trying to decompartmentalize that, but I think on terms of on the pitch, I think it was obviously brilliant. Yeah. Um, you know, this is the last World Cup with 32 teams so it's always going to have a special place in history for that reason uh like we said you know the greatest player of this generation in many people's eyes finally lifted up a trophy that he had coveted all his life um i think just in argentina now i think 
you know, especially with the older timer, old timers, you would still give Maradona more reverence than Messi, but they're they're in the same they're in the same picture now, right? It's not Maradona and everybody else. It's Maradona, Messi, and everybody else. Yeah. Um, so I think historically speaking, that's massive, right? Um, and you know, I don't. I think we both kind of in the same agreement with the greatest player of all time. It's very, I don't know how you judge what Maradona did in the 70s and 80s when he was getting hacked at it. <laughs> you know, they weren't even calling red cars. You know, it was well, just it was just a completely different game, right? Yeah, and I think if you like, just everything around the game is different as well. I, I shared on Twitter the uh, the video of Maradona training for the I think it was the the American '94 USA '94 World Cup, and he's like literally in an unplowed field running up and back doing drills and it's like you know you can't compare someone who has to go to his uncle's farm to to get in shape for a world cup to the kind of the sports science that goes on now the facilities they have the nutritionists this that and the other like yeah you're not comparing apples to apples at that point so i think you talk about the best as a collective group and there's no doubt that Messi's obviously in that group and um yeah yeah and i'm i'm glad he got it and, and the longevity, too. He's winning this World Cup at 35, right? right. So that's yeah. pretty incredible. And, look, Maradona had a short life um, on the pitch and obviously, unfortunately, off of it. But, mm-hmm. you know, his prime was with anybody's, but it was short-lived. Messi, basically 15 years in, is winning a World Cup, not necessarily at the peak of his performance, but still one of the better players in the tournament, uh, which is incredible. So... You know, I think um, the only other main takeaway I have on this World Cup, obviously Morocco, what they did, the first ever African team to the semifinal. Yeah. I think it's incredible. I think it was interesting having a World Cup that was so close together. I thought that was a positive, um, although for bad, obvious, <laughs> for bad, obvious reasons, but whatever. Uh, the 2026 World Cup with 48 teams, of course, three massive countries obviously won't be the same. Right. Um, I do think one thing from a refereeing point of view, uh, Olin mentioned in his email was kind of funny how they seem very willing to give penalties, but very unwilling to give cards. Right. Um, I mean, I think the only red card, I believe, in regular time was Hennessy. I could be wrong about that. Yeah, because Dumfries got his one after the game in the the Netherlands game, but I don't remember one. I think, no, there was one other one. There was two yellows. Uh, oh, the Morocco. The Morocco Portugal game, yes. game yeah. But that that was like right at the end. Two yellows. Right. Um, yeah, Wayne Hennessy, you know, honorable mention for his bonehead. Oh, I had to get challenge. a little shadowed in too. So. <laughs> it's um, yeah, yeah, and I think uh, yeah. So I think that, and then the only thing I think we want to say, if you want to talk about, I, I do think, and Olin mentioned his email was. Um, you know, because of the central location, you know, there's more Arab teams. So we saw Morocco, obviously, but even yeah. Tunisia and Saudi Arabia, you know, they had great fan support. Um, so I think that was great. And the only other thing I want to say is what were your thoughts? Because um, I think this will come up, whether it be in 16 years or 20 years or 24 years. What were your thoughts on the um, Winter World Cup? I don't really like it i think um i obviously have a bias towards european football 
Um, <laughs> and, you know, breaking up the season there. And, you know, as we move the podcast along to go back to talking about the EPL, uh, it'll be interesting to see the, the effects it has on, on that league, on the Champions League and, and the leagues across Europe. Um, you know, it, yeah, I feel like it's also something new, right? So it's like you, you kind of are used to what you're used to. Uh, season wraps up and then you have a nice summer world cup so um yeah i think it just kind of froze everything out um for for the european game and like i say that's that's a little bit of my bias playing in there but i i don't know that the teams all had enough time to prepare i think there was players probably like talk about the french squad and all their injuries if if that's a summer tournament are we seeing as many injuries hard to say because at the end of a long season that's when when players are often carrying injuries as well but um it just seemed it kind of was a little bit rushed from from when the club games stopped and and to when it kicked off and i don't know if that had much of an impact but um yeah i guess it's it's new we'll have to see uh, if they do it again um if it becomes a bit more normal, I, I'm not sure that anyone's begging for it, but I I didn't really care for it. But it's still a World Cup and well, fun to watch football for I, four weeks. I do think after those first games, we saw just a lot better action. I mean, this World Cup had more goals than any other World Cup in history. Right. Um, and I think because they played in the wintertime, players were, as odd as this sounds, a little bit more fit because they're mm-hmm. in the middle of a season opposed to when they played in June july and it's after season and it's funny because it was in qatar but the temperatures were actually beautiful i mean it was in the 70s and 80s in these air-conditioned stadiums because when they played it so that was actually a big benefit when they play in the united states and canada and mexico in 2026 it's going to be hot um (laughs) especially if you're playing you know i think really anywhere i mean it gets hot in new england it gets hot in philadelphia it gets hot in new york city but it's going to be very hot in la it's going to be very hot in Dallas, um, wherever in, the, in Chicago. It could get stifling hot, obviously, in Mexico City. So, you know, this was kind of more pure football and optimum conditions with little travel, beautiful temperatures. Um, it's not necessarily going to be like that uh, in 2026. It's going to be a lot of travel. It's going to be very hot. It could be very different weather depending where you are. You might have some elevation depending on where you play. So mm-hmm. I'm not, I mean, if you were to have, you know, the perfect World Cup in terms of playing, you would do it in a small, in a small country with optimum temperatures, with no travel, and that's what we had on this World Cup. So, you know, through all its faults, I do think there were some positives from just a strictly football point of view. Um, and I just, you know, look, I think if we're going to have more, you know, whether it be Arab or Middle Eastern or countries have a World Cup, I, I think you do. I don't mind making the exception once every 20 years right. to do it in the winter because um, I think it makes for better football and it's it's only fair for these countries. They should, if you know, they fulfill the requirements, they should have every right if they're the number one choice. Right. Um, so, you know, I don't mind it as kind of like a blueprint for future World Cups. Obviously, the bidding process and everything else was a was a farce. But um, you know, all in all, I think in terms of it being the time of year it was in, I think it was I think it was different. But look, I don't like what it did to the club game, but I also think it made for a better World Cup. So it's kind of like robbing Peter and paying Paul. So all in all, I think um, I was pleasantly pleased with the World Cup. 
I watch, I think, almost every second of it. I think I made it zoned out a little bit in the third place game, but other than that, <laughs> whether it was live, which was like 90, 95%, or watching it on on replay, I, I think I watched every second of this World Cup, and I just love it. You know, I just, it's not necessarily the highest quality, but I yeah, just loved it. it. And I think, uh, and this will be a transition as we start looking ahead to the, the return of the EPL, and I think um, it it could actually have a benefit. Obviously, not every team in club football had players in the final or even the semi-finals, quarterfinals. And, wow. you know, a Some big... clubs had players on both teams. Well, yeah, Tot- Tottenham are a bit screwed. But, but apart from that, um, I think <laughs> there's always been talk for years now about a winter break in the English league. Um, you know, German teams do it and, and various leagues across Europe have a bit of a winter break. And, you know, some of these teams have got that. So let's see if that changes the product moving forward. Um, but then at the same time, then you do have teams... You know, um, that have got multiple players who have just played a grueling tournament, and you know, in a week's time, are, are back on the field, or you know, in a couple of weeks' time, if they if they have a little bit of a break, um, I think it also keeps physically right, and I think it keeps the momentum going for the game as well, um, and just keeps eyes on soccer that you don't have to wait now you know the the tournament wraps up at the start of July or like at the end of July, sorry, and you're waiting through. To like the middle late August to for football to start again, this kind of keeps fresh eyes on it. But let's take a quick look ahead. Um, we mentioned it on the last podcast. Uh, Boxing Day is upon us. Um, typically, back in the back in the day, Boxing Day was a big derby day, and you would have all the local derbies uh, mainly because they didn't want people hungover and traveling too far. I imagine. Um, so you know we we see that in in the fixture list coming up, a few London teams playing each other, and they kind of keep it somewhat geographically uh, close or as close as they can. Uh, will you be getting up to watch your your Tottenham Hotspurs kick off the Premier League uh, return away at Brentford at, at seven thirty Eastern time on on Boxing Day morning? You know what better way to bring us all back uh, <laughs> an away fixture at Brentford with half your team uh, on World Cup duty. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not. Uh, I'm going to be very grouchy. I anticipate on Boxing Day morning. <laughs> I don't see Tottenham getting all three points, but like you know, who knows, right? Uh, as you said, Crystal Palace, Fulham. That's sort of a London derby. Yeah, uh, I guess it is technically a London derby. Um, Arsenal, West Ham, the late game, three o'clock Eastern on Monday, wrapping up Boxing Day is obviously another derby. Um, Leicester, Newcastle do not fit the bill. No. <laughs> uh, Everton, Wolves are not really either close enough, I suppose. Yeah. Chelsea, Bournemouth. Uh, Bournemouth is basically London, so yeah. Uh, Forest, United, no. no. <laughs> and Leeds, Man City. It's close. It's relatively yeah. close. And, so, and we're also, uh, you know, when we think, talk about teams being far apart uh, in 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 the English game, it, uh, for the most part, they're all closer than pretty much most MLS teams, apart from the ones that have multiple teams in the same city. So we're not talking about great distances, but uh, yeah, just excited back to get back into to the English Premier League and uh, yeah, my Liverpool away at Aston Villa. Um, hopefully, Liverpool. This has been a bit of a switch for them. They weren't. Uh, they're not having the season they desired uh, up until the World Cup. So I'm hoping that can turn around. Um, yeah, and we'll be back to talk about that. Um, anything else on, on these upcoming fixtures? Uh, and I think the fun thing, too, just keep in mind, I mean, at least with the Premier League, 
so many of these teams are so close together in points that yeah, all these results matter, whether it be for top four or really. I mean, basically everybody from Brighton to seventh to Wolves and last are within 11 points. So any of those teams could still technically be dragged into the relegation battle, in my opinion. So even though I expect Brighton to be fine, you never know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, transitioning back i think is gonna be a little weird especially so suddenly but uh this is the bread and butter of football right the domestic leagues um they get us through and you know i think what the fun thing and you know we get into uh you know plans for next week but i think one of the fun things about this world cup being in the winter time is especially in america i think especially heading into 2026 world cup i think there's a lot of people that are Especially after that huge final, I think their heads are a little bit turned. Oh, what is going on here? And yeah. now, what do we have this week? We have Premier League right away, right? And so I think it'll be fun to see. I think there'll be new new fans trying to just, you know, they want to keep up with their players, right? They saw Aronson. They saw Tyler Adams. They saw Pulisic. They saw, you know, Weston McKinney, whoever. They saw them play, and now they, you know, I want to see them play more. Well, where do you do it? Either usually one of the big six leagues in 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 Europe, yeah. we're obviously going to be focused on the Premier League, which a lot of American talents obviously in the Premier League, and you know this is this is this, this is what we love, right? Thirty eight sure. times a year, basically two hours a week. Sometimes you obviously have midweek features. If you're a top four team, you play in the Champions League. If you're fifth or sixth or seventh, you play in the Europa League or the Conference League midweek against other teams in Europe. But generally, we're talking about two hours a week, yep. 38 times a year over the course of nine, ten months. It's it's not like Major League Baseball, <laughs> which is 162 games, three hours a night. It's not NBA or NHL, which is 82 games, and then another 20 in the playoff season. This is just 38, 38 games, two hours a day, two hours a week, I should say. It's not quite as compact as the NFL, but – the actual game is a little bit shorter mm-hmm. and I just think it, you know, it goes on for nine months. So it's a little bit elongated compared to football, which is really like four to five months. Yeah. So I think it's just a really, it's a good spectator sport. Yeah. And like for us on, on the East coast and, you know, anyone else in, in North America, you know, if, if you're a Tottenham Hotspur fan on boxing day, your game's going to be wrapped up by nine thirty in the morning and you've still got your whole day ahead of you. So it's not a large commitment. You're not kind of oh, conflicting in prime I just time. Realized. I'm going to be in uh, Minnesota, so it's going to be a 6.30. Oh, it's going to be even earlier. It's oh, just getting Jesus. worse and worse. Oh. It could be a DVR game. Um, but this is a, a perfect segue to uh, an email we received from friend of the podcast, Jim Crumley. Um, I've got it here. I'm just going to read it. So it says, hi, I think the podcast is great. Uh, that's a lie. Thanks for the feedback. <laughs> uh, that's all the email says. No, I'm kidding. Um, What's the email address? You didn't say it. Oh, the email address, the wrongfootpodcast at gmail.com. Follow yeah, us on say Twitter. Say it again. Say it again. The wrongfootpodcast at gmail.com. There and, we go. Top yeah. it. We need to get at the top of the pod and at the end of the pod. Yeah. What else do we have? We have a website. Oh, the, dude. The wrongfootpodcast.com. Oh, amazing. We have Twitter at wrongfootpod. Follow us. Uh, wherever you're listening to this, subscribe so you don't have to get weekly texts from me saying, don't forget, we've got a new episode. Uh, they will just go straight into your inbox. So do that. Uh, and we're we going to fill better. that website with some content shortly. 
Yes, we've got some ideas. We've had people reach out, so hopefully I've we'll been a little delinquent, but we will get yeah, there. Um, so yeah, carrying on from Jim's lovely feedback about how great this podcast yes. is, he says, uh, uh, "As for ideas going forward, I'd love to you if you did a podcast on choosing an EPL team. As a casual fan of American soccer, it's not clear where to dive in. I'm sure there are plenty of primers out there, so I could be less lazy and find one of my own. But Jim, do not fear. We are here to help you. We are going to pick a lazy. team for you. Lazy." This is a massive decision, Jim. Come on. Yeah, no, we are going to help you. We are, I am currently devising a very unscientific BuzzFeed-esque uh, questionnaire, which we will share with you. Uh, Jim, we may even have you on as a guest next week. Uh, we'll, we'll see how scheduling works there or, or just have you answer the, the questions in advance yes. if we can't get that to work. And we are going to align you with a team. We are going to change your life forever. Christ. You are going to hate us in about six months' are. time. Yeah, we, are, yes. we you will hate us when you become so committed to this team. Yes. They, you have their name and their crest tattooed on your body. And, you know, you are living and dying by this team. Your life is about to change, and we are going to support you through that journey, Jim. We are going to get you there, and we are going to change We're going life. to keep it to a Premier League team. Yeah, I think so. Unless we absolutely think a championship team or a League One team fits you to a T. This is yeah. obviously going to take a little guesswork. Jim is a Wisconsin Badger fan. He's a Green <laughs> Bay Packer fan. So, you know, we're going to see what he values in a team, what he values in a club. Because when you choose a football team in the year, in the English, um, you know, footballing pyramid, right? Yeah. You're choosing a team for life. You're choosing yeah. a team that that's not probably going to win anything <laughs> that you're just going because you enjoy the two hours you enjoy the, yeah. the the sense of community the sense of the the chance the sense that you're part of something greater than yourself right that is what being a fan in the english football pyramid in almost any league is i mean you're not going to win i've been a tottenham hotspur supporter we're in the big six so to speak i haven't seen a trophy in almost 15 years and that was in the <laughs> That was in a league cup, which almost doesn't count. So, yeah. you know, look, the beautiful game, it's not always about winning. It's about watching good football. It's about having fun. It's about being part of your community. And we're going to help any listener that wants to. We're going to help them get there. Yeah. You just saw the World Cup. You may not have an EPL team. We will get you that EPL team. <laughs> we will get you that connection to this league. And, you know, let, let, I mean – uh, you can attest to it. I know I can attest to it. These 20 clubs in the, currently in the Premier League are all very different. Yep. And we will find you the right team, we promise. We will. We will. And on that note, that wraps up another great episode here. Thanks for joining us again. Uh, Joe, how can people get in touch again? <sighs> There's so many ways. <laughs> but uh, obviously... <laughs> you know, just yell Everywhere. at us, right? Just, yes, just say, get the tin well, can out and just yell at us, right? Yeah, um, we're like, you just need the bat what, what is this podcast called? <laughs> the Wrong Foot Podcast. So you know what you can do? You can email us, thewrongfootpodcast at gmail.com. Again, thewrongfootpodcast at gmail.com. If you want a Premier League team, you know, because you don't have one, no yeah. worries. Maybe you're like Ola and your team is West Bromwich Albion <laughs> in, in dire straits, hoping not to get relegated to League One. Despite uh, a couple recent victories, they're climbing back up. But that's where you can reach out. That's yeah. where you can say, I need an EPL. We will get you on. Yeah, and we will get sure. one that matches with who you are. So you yeah. can have Instant connection. no problem supporting them fully. For sure, for sure. Well, thank you, Joe. Uh, it's been a pleasure again. And it was a fun World Cup. And, and I'm excited to now move back to 
to the club game and the beautiful game continues year on to the next chapter for sure take it man next week we're looking uh you know what to tape after maybe tuesday and wednesday yeah we'll look midweek uh well i guess the the games are kind of spread out uh over the holiday week so at some point we'll like i say subscribe and then you don't have to worry you won't miss an episode it will come straight to your inbox it will be there ready to listen there the fabulous sounds of mine and joe's voice so yeah no better way to get away from the family during the holidays (laughs) exactly all right man it's been a pleasure take care love you guys (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.